0: Hello, this is an interview with the authors of the blip paper. If you haven't seen it, I've made a review video of the paper itself. Be sure to check that out. The authors have seen that and are directly able to respond to it, so we all start on an even footing. It's very cool to have the authors on and this interview particularly was really interesting to me. I hope it is to you. As always, thank you for everyone who leaves a like who leaves a comment. Uh, Thanks to all the Patreons and the support I get on on Twitter and on YouTube itself. It's really cool. And I wish you a lot of fun. Thank you. Hey there, a quick shout out to today's sponsor, Assembly AI is an AI company that offers accurate API's for speech to text. As a developer, you can use these API's to automatically transcribe and understand audio and video data in just a few lines of code. Assembly AI automatically converts asynchronous and even live audio streams into text. They have so many features that help you understand your audio data, for example, summarization content moderation, topic detection, and much more. Please check them out using the link in the description to let them know I sent you. Now let's get on with the video. Hi, everyone. Today I'm here with Junnan Li and Dongshu Li, who are two of the researchers of the blip paper. Uh, it's a very big honor to have you here. Welcome both of you.
1: Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Uh, really happy to share our work here.
0: Yeah, this, this paper was really cool. I think when it came out, um, everyone saw it and it generated quite a bit of, of buzz um, because it is a new approach to incorporating images and language and it can do a lot of things at the same time. Uh, it is a big system. And um, yeah, I was I was super happy when I saw it. And when I read the paper, I was also pretty, pretty happy after I read the paper, which sometimes isn't the case anymore after you read the paper. Uh, yeah. And if you would, if you would just to dive in, maybe if you would pitch your idea to someone, like someone comes to you in a poster session or so, uh, maybe for people who haven't seen the paper review, just extremely briefly, what does your paper say or what do you suppose yeah, sure. or propose? Uh,
1: so maybe I can take this question. Uh, I think uh, the major point of our paper, the selling point, is that uh, we propose a unified framework for visual language pre-training, where we can pre-train this model that has the capability of doing both uh, visual language understanding and uh, visual language generation. So uh, what understanding means is that it can jointly understand the two modalities, namely uh, image and text and produce some kind of multimodal features that can be used, such as for classification tasks. And uh, what non- uh, generation means here is that it can generate text uh, based on some image input. For example, for image captioning, uh, it's one of a typical generation task. So I think this is the uh, main idea of our our model. And in terms of the technical, in terms of how do we achieve that, I think there's one big, a uh, point that I would like to highlight is we do have this data set bootstrapping uh, to tackle the challenge of noisy uh, web training data. Because uh, existing works, a lot of them pre-train on those data that are collected from the image, uh, from the web, which contains the image and alt text pairs, which can be noisy. Uh, I think you mentioned in the review video. Uh, So what we do here is that we want to synthetically generate uh, captions and also to use a filter to try to remove the noisy captions. And by doing so, we can uh, significantly improve the quality of the dataset. And uh, I think one of the key messages we want to send in the paper is that the quality of the data really matters. Uh, It's as important as, if not more important than the quantity. So a lot of past works have focused on scaling up the model with big data, uh, but here uh, we do scale up, but we also focus on the quality of the data.
0: Um, I want to I want to dive into this uh, data bootstrapping uh, right away because it is almost it is almost a bit of an independent thing from the system itself, right? The, we've long known that we can trade off quality for quantity, but usually it is in an exponential fashion. So to get the same amount more quality we need exponentially more data if we want to achieve it with uh with less quality data um did you was this was this which came first the idea of building the vision language model or the idea of filtering or the data set because they both play nicely into one another in your paper um and i'm just a bit wondering how did this come to be, which came first, uh, why, why one or the other?
1: Yeah. Uh, so actually for my research, uh, for my past papers, I've focused, uh, some papers on this weekly supervised learning or learning from the noisy data. So I've always been quite interested in how do people, uh, train models with uh, imperfect data, which is a very practical scenario and, uh. Uh, I think this, desert, uh, this field may deserve more attention. It's not as popular as some of the other fields, uh, but it's really a very practical issue, and it, it do exist uh, for vision Language Pre-Training. So actually, one of my previous paper in vision Language Pre-Training, uh, which we call it LBEF model, uh, it was published in New uh, last year. Uh, we have this kind of self-training scheme uh, where we want to clean the noise Uh, in the dataset, but it's in a relatively uh, more simpler way than what we do here. Uh, So rather than generating synthetic captions, we were doing some self distillation thing. Uh, So then we take it to the next step in the brief paper, where we first look at the dataset and we see a lot of noise. And here, noise basically means that the caption it's not really describing the visual content of the image. It may still be a good uh, human written text, right? It, it's, it's not the text is grammarly wrong, it's grammarly correct. Uh, it's just that it's not aligned with the image. So what we try to solve is how do we generate uh, text that are more aligned with the image such that our pretraining can benefit uh, from this.
0: I think uh, this, this left picture here illustrates it well where it just says from a bridge near my house right uh which is which is a a weird thing to put in an alt text you would put that usually in some sort of a social media post or so but this is one of the examples where the alt text doesn't really describe the image i thought i thought that was really well were you always aware of this weakness or um like how how do you even find out that that is a large scale problem
1: yeah, so I think uh, I first come uh, find out this problem when going through basically some of the Persian data set. So I think what people previously use, uh, a quite standard web data set was this conceptual caption 3 million, uh, which is a relatively medium scale. Uh, it's not too small, but uh, not uh, very huge. And there they do exist a lot of captions like this in that data set. And I found this problem even exaggerates as I try to use a bigger data set. For example, in this paper, we use the Lion data set, which was a very newly released data set. And uh, the noisy problem was even more, uh, like uh, happens a lot more frequent uh, when you try to scale up the data to include more web images with alt text. Uh, so we feel like this is something that if we can solve it, it could really uh, change the the model's performance.
0: Have you seen that there's a recent paper called something like vision models are more robust and fair when trained on uncurated data or something like this. So uh, yes. this here, you, you seem to say we need better quality data. And that group is saying essentially, no, our models work better when we have less quality but but you know we we just go out and collect data. Can you maybe establish a bit of a of a connection between the two views? Like where do they how do they agree?
1: Uh yeah so I think uh maybe these are two different aspects. One is the quality and the other is the diversity. So I think what that paper tried to maybe claim is I, I haven't read into detail, it's just my uh like uh, what my impression was that they try to claim if you have like this huge web data set uh, that is more diverse maybe than your, maybe human created data set, you can bring better advantage to the model. I think that doesn't contradicts with what we say here. Uh, So actually in our experiment, we show that the diversity of captions do matter a lot. Uh, When we try to generate synthetic captions, we try to uh, generate a diverse set of captions that covers a whole bunch of different concepts rather than a very common and safe description of the image.
2: Yeah, I think maybe um, these two approaches, they seem to me to not contradict, but uh, complementary to each other. Uh, on one aspect, uh, when you have more data, of course, you can always scale up you, the size of your data, since you are with having more samples that give you uh, better capacity for the model. But on the other side, we more focus on the quality side, if you really look at the number of images we are using here for the pre-training, compared with some of the other works, it's not a lot. It's not like a, a too much too, too large scale. but uh, since the quality of our pre-training uh, covers is better, we are now with a better uh, performance. So I really think the skill and the quality they are complementary and they do not contradict. I, I believe.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's stay on this on this pre, uh, sorry on the on the captioning and filtering for just one more second. Uh, you first, did I get this right? You first pre, you first pre-train the entire model on, on this, uh, uncurated, let's say data set, and then you use a fine tuning on a human generated captioning data set, uh, in order to get these filter and captioning models, um, is, so my worry there would be a little bit exactly what we talked right now, uh what my filter and captioning models learn is really dependent on, let's say, let's assume the quality of the human-generated data set is good, but the diversity of it really matters, right? Because it sort of needs to cover all the images that come, you know, from the uncurated data set. Otherwise, it is going to misjudge, misfilter, or not being able to caption this, this data set. Um, how do you, uh, you know... How do you control for that? And maybe you can also comment on if I now, let's say I want to expand my data set to areas that I know that the human one doesn't cover, what could be a method of, you know, still going, still going and, and, and researching on this new type of data?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Uh, I think it's a valid concern that is fine tuning maybe bias the model our certain domains. And uh, I think uh, one of the reasons we achieve performance improvement is because a lot of these downstream tasks are similar to the Coco domain image. Uh, so I think that's, uh, that's uh, a valid point. But in the meantime, I would say that this fine tuning doesn't destroy the model's capability to generate diverse captions. and uh, Because uh, the fine tuning is really a very lightweight procedure. So for pre-training, we pre-train on this huge dataset for uh, 20 epochs, which would take a few days, or uh, maybe even a week. But this fine-tuning, we only fine-tune for five epochs, on a very small-scale COCO dataset, which can finish within a few hours. So this fine-tuning would not make the model forget about what it has previously saw. Uh, it only slightly modified the model, so that it can generate captions that are more like human-written ones. But we do find that even after fine-tuning, the model can generate captions that are not within the vocabulary of Coco dataset. So it's not like the the fine-tuning completely destroyed the model's diversity uh, capability. Uh, So that's uh, your uh, answer to our first question. And for the second question, uh, if someone wants to try to uh, expand the model to a different domain, Uh, where there doesn't exist human annotations. Uh, I would say first, if you can collect some, uh, it would be good. Uh, And if you cannot, maybe one solution is there might be some similar images from this huge web dataset that maybe you can retrieve. So let's say if you can retrieve some similar images associated with the web captions, uh, then maybe you can slightly fine tune the model on those subsets so that the model becomes slightly more biased towards your domain and uh, more suitable to your downstream task
0: you suggest um with this drawing uh you suggest in with this arrow right here almost you suggest like a loop uh like suggesting that this could be done multiple times right that could uh, uh you know go go multiple times through this stage is this is this anything um okay i've i've maybe not seen this in the experiment if this anything you've tried or would would anything change in the loop number two or number three or number four like what would be the difference i have i've already you know there's no new data introduced
1: Mm. uh yeah so first of all i would uh, say it's definitely possible to Do multiple rounds of iterations of this bootstrapping. And in our future work, we mentioned this as one of the future work. Uh, And in terms of extra knowledge, like each round of bootstrapping, we can add in new captions, right? So if the model becomes better, it can generate better synthetic captions. And there there might be a diminishing return if we do multiple rounds. Uh, I would say my intuition is the first round will probably help the most. And maybe the second, the third will help less. Uh, But unfortunately, due to the time and computation constraint, we didn't really uh, have the resource to uh, produce the experiment before the paper. Uh, So that's definitely one of the future plans uh, that we have. Uh, Yeah.
0: Um, So let's shift, maybe. Sorry, go ahead. Um, okay. It, you, this model here is quite big. Uh, that's was my first impression when I saw it. There's a lot of stuff. Okay. I have also drawn a lot of stuff on it. I'm sorry. I can make this go away. Um, so the model here is relatively big and relatively, you know, there's, there's modules going around, there's parameter sharing going on. Uh, what was the what was the evolution of this model? Was this Is this version one that we're looking at right here? Or is this like, you know, version 50 after you've tried a bunch of other things?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely not version one. So actually this model is heavily like inspired by our previous uh, LBEF model, uh, which is an encoder only model. So if you look at the model, there's not too much difference between LBEF and Blip. Except the fact that now we add the uh, generation capability to play with the language modeling loss. Uh, so the the reason why we want to add this is first that uh, because the encoder models doesn't really transfer that well to image captioning task and other generation tasks. So it's better that we can pretrain it to have this capability. Uh, that's why we add in this new decoder module, uh, and. Uh, Uh, Then after we add in the decoder module, we thought uh, since we are doing multitask learning, can we share some parameters? Uh, Because uh, first of all, it's more efficient to share parameters. And secondly, uh, it may bring some advantage from the multitask training uh, by jointly optimizing uh, those uh, few losses. So we tried different sharing strategy. Uh, First, we start with not sharing any parameters at all. And then we try to share maybe the. uh, So we try to decouple maybe some uh, the cross attention layer or the self attention layer or the feed forward layer. Uh, Then we find that decoupling the self attention layer from the encoder and decoder is a more efficient and effective way. So that's why we choose this uh, strategy. But uh, there is a possibility that uh, because we are doing this experiment on a relatively smaller scale, uh, training So we were using the 40 million images uh, for pre-training, but our final model was pre-trained on 100 million images. So maybe this sharing strategy is not the optimal for uh, if you scale up the dataset. So I would imagine if you want to have the best possible uh, performance, you may want to scale up the dataset and try to decouple the parameters more. But that would of course sacrifice some of the efficiencies uh, bring by the parameter sharing.
2: Yeah. Uh, another yeah another point I probably want to add here is like um, um, this architecture is not like um ad hoc design because remember that one of our starting point is to eliminate the noise le- uh, noise le- levels in this pre-training data sets. So from from there uh, we uh, on one side that we need to identify. Uh, What are the noisy ones? Whether the image and the caption, they match with each other. And that end up with this design of encoder model. Uh, On the other side, we want even more that when we find that uh, the, the caption does not align well with the image itself, we don't want to simply discard the training data point. We want to generate some useful captions, surprising captions that can further help us. So from from that, I really want to say that it's not like we want to put everything together, glue different models into a single model to make it big. It really serves very well uh, for this caption filter algorithm. Yeah, and I think that kind of yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just one additional comment is that our model is really actually not big uh, if you compare it to some other models. So. Basically, our model is a ViT plus uh, uh, a bird, so uh, it's a base version of the bird. So, in terms of the number of parameters, I would say it's a standard uh, parameter deep learning model. Uh, It's not that crazy huge. Uh, So, even we draw it uh, in the current figure, actually, there is because this parameter sharing going on. uh, The number of parameter and the training uh, uh, computation load is not that heavy.
0: Mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i like the fact that uh, this really arises from sort of the goal of cleaning the data set it plays i f- I also thought the more i read it and the more i talked about it it became more evident that the things really played together nicely you use uh the you use the, the contrastive loss to get the hard negatives for the for the uh for the i, I want to say like matching matching loss or rancor loss and then That gives you the filter and then the the language model here gives you the captioning um with respect to parameter sharing um you said okay the the matching head or the contrastive heads they're not really good at captioning themselves so we'd rather pre-train or train a captioning or a language generation model do you find that adding the task of language generation also helps the tasks that the other models would be good at um, Like do you find an additional benefit except for our model can also do captioning? Do you find an additional benefit for the already existing or the already tackled tasks by adding let's say the language model?
1: Yes, yes, we find that uh, there's an advantage bring, bring uh, brought by this language model loss. Uh, so this language model loss if you think about this it, is really, Quite similar to the mass language model allows, except that now it's an autoregressive version. right? So, in our previous LBF work and in some other papers, what people usually do is this mass language modeling uh, to try to improve the uh, model's capability to, to understand the text uh, in a more fine grained granularity because the image text matching and image text contrastive learning is more like a global uh, matching, right? You are trying to match the image and text. But the language model is more fine-grained. You want to generate the word based on the image and by, uh, achieving. So you need to better understand maybe some details of the image and align it with the textual concept to be able to generate the word.
0: Um, do you, do you have, let's say more more extensive goals in mind here. Uh, you just said it's actually not that big, you know, it fits really nicely, I agree with all of that, yet I foresee a future where you could, you know, bring together lots of these modules. Uh, essentially, what, I, what I'd like to have is, um, first of all, we could obviously think of doing the same with the image side right here. You just have an encoder here right now. Um, But we could think of, you know, breaking out here, doing image generation, doing, um, you know, what, whatever we can do with images. Uh, But on the other hand, maybe an even bigger future vision would be uh, I bring a data set and I say, look, these are pairs of images and text. Now, please, system, make me a model that includes all of these losses that i can think of like all of these different combinations and the system would figure out okay i can share you know i can share parameters here and i can build that and so on and um maybe that would given your findings which i you know i totally believe that adding more of these tasks and sharing the parameters actually mutually benefits uh, each other the representations they become more capable they become uh, maybe more, more broadly meaningful and so on. So I think that might be a cool, a cool future to, to work, uh, against. I don't know how feasible it is though. <laughs> is that anything on your roadmap or, uh, you know, what does the future look like of these models?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very cool idea. Uh, maybe a very ambitious goal. Uh, So we have considered to add in some image generation capability, but uh, we didn't because it uh, doesn't fit very well with our current framework. So we don't want to make the framework to be very huge uh, and messy. We try to keep it more cleaner. Uh, uh, But regarding your point that can we have automatic system that can maybe combine different modules and losses, uh, I think that's... uh, possible goal, uh, it's just uh, there could be a lot of obstacles in how to achieve that. Uh, for example, if we borrow some idea from the NAS community and maybe we borrow some reinforcement learning idea, uh, maybe there are some ways we can train a policy to do that. Uh, but it's not entirely clear to me how, how can we achieve that. Because I think the main problem is this per training is uh, how to evaluate the per training is a big problem, right? So uh, you cannot just say that uh, a lower pretraining loss means that your model is better at downstream task. Uh, if 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 there's a uh, if there's a correlation between pretraining loss and downstream task, uh, then it may be easier, right? You just find the optimal module that you can minimize your opportunity loss. But usually, it's not the case. It also depends on how well aligned is your pretraining task and your downstream task. Uh, so I think that's one of the major issues of why it may take some trial and error to find the, the best strategy uh, for the pretraining.
2: Yeah, may- maybe I can add a few sentences to to that. Um, I think ha- ha- being able to figure out how to uh, you know combine these different modules together automatically would be super cool and uh, futuristic. <laughs> uh, yet I think there are a couple of practical messages that we want to convey here, uh, which is a, a, the first I think if you re- really look at how this uh, we, we fine-tune we, we fine-tune this MED model to make them a, a, a captioner, a filter, and also how we combine these different modules together in order to tackle the down, uh, downstream tasks. There are really some dedicated Ways to do that, and usually, if you look at uh, uh, some uh, pre-training works on the market, their strategies will be pretty uh, simplistic in the sense that in most of occasions they just add the task-specific heads. But in this a particular work, we uh, just move one step further than that. we uh, rethinking how to rearrange these modules and what are the best strategies uh, for this parameter sharing strategy. Um, Uh, I hope uh, another uh, message we we may want to say here is a lot of people, they blindly do this multitasking by aggregating hundreds of different data sets and task into one pre-training model. And maybe uh, from uh, from maybe uh, by bleep, we uh, want people to kind of revi- revisit this decision next time we do this. They do this multitasking because not necessarily every task they complement with each other, and you may want to carefully look into what to share, what not to share. I think these are the two uh, things we want to uh, uh, remind. Uh, for, yeah, for future works.
1: Yeah, and I have one uh, additional comment to follow what Dongxiu said is that uh, you can see a lot of other works, they really combine uh, really like maybe eight or 10 objectives together, right? So there are some uh, strategies for visual language training is you bring in object detection objective to improve your localization capability. Uh, so we think that's a, a way to, that's a valid way to improve performance, but. Here, what we try to say is that we want to keep things very nice and simple, right? So we have these three laws where each law serves a very clear purpose uh, and can be transferred to a very specific downstream task. And all we need is just image text pairs. We don't need any bounding box or anything else. Uh, So I think that's one of the message we want to also convey.
0: Cool. And yeah, and and I I especially, I like the fact that with pre-training with the aspect of fine tuning, then you're able to recombine these different modules in in very creative ways. So even even though you have these modules, they have their purposes for the pre training, for the captioning, for the filtering. But then they can be. It seems it seems uh, many many tasks can now be tackled by some sort of combination of these models and a little bit of fine tuning, which is something that I find uh, really cool. Um, you have done extensive and like uh, there are there are lots of lots of tables mean means you had to run like and collect lots of numbers um which is is very nice because gives a bit also of a broad overview than just having you know four numbers or so comparing with one baseline um although could you uh, maybe highlight some of the Of the standing out results that you got, or one of some of the more important results, like how would you summarize or what would you highlight about your experimental evaluation of this?
1: Yeah, sure. I think the most important one would be table one, uh, where we demonstrate the uh, performance gain uh, achieved by how do we bootstrap our data set. Yeah, and yeah, so this is table basically. If you look at the first column, it shows uh, how many I- images we are using. So we have two settings. One is the 40 million images. Uh, another we scale up with more noisy uh, image text pairs. And the second column is how do we perform the bootstrapping. Uh, C stands for captioning, and F stands for filtering. It means whether we do captioning to generate synthetic one- uh, captions, or we do filtering to remove the noisy captions, or we do both together. Uh, so if you look at the first row, second row, third, and the fourth row, you can see that uh, both the captioning and the filtering can help uh, individually. And if you combine them t- together, they they really have complement each other, right? So by generating synthetic captions and at the same time try to remove the noise, uh, we can achieve I would say a quite good amount of uh, gain in these two different uh, four different uh, data sets covering both the retrieval task and the the captioning task. So I think that's one of the key uh, results we have here. And also maybe then it goes to the uh, second table, is how do we do the uh, bootstrapping of the captions, right? So do we use Beam Search or do we use nuclear sampling? So the difference between those two approaches is that Beam Search Is a deterministic uh, sampling, uh, not sampling, deterministic decoding strategy where you try to find the most likely sentence uh, associated with the image. And nuclear sampling is a stochastic approach where you try to sample according to some uh, probability distribution. Uh, And we find that surprisingly, uh, if you compare beam search with no uh, generation, there is a good gain. Achieved by beam search, but by moving beam search to nuclear sampling, there is a similar amount of gain. So this is something that we didn't expect at the first time we see the results. And after we really deep, uh, deep dive into what the captions look like, uh, how uh, how does beam search and nuclear sampling generate different captions? We found out that uh, the beam search will generate a kind of a safe caption that accurately describe the image most of the time, but it's not surprising, so you can commonly see those uh, uh th- these captions in the data set uh, and that doesn't add a lot of extra knowledge for the model to learn but the nuclear sampling really introduced some really diverse captions uh that are more like human written ones right the human don't write. Uh, a very boring distribution, like a man is uh, with a dog in a park, right? So it's a very boring question, uh, boring caption, but nuclear sampling can give you more diverse captions. And uh, if you look at the noise ratio, which is actually how much of those captions were filtered out by our filter, you can also see that beam search is less noisy, uh, but even though it's less noisy, it's not as beneficial as nuclear sampling here. And this really raised another question, which, which I think is a very interesting future work, is that is nuclear sampling the best way, right? So because those models are pre-trained with the language modeling uh, loss, which is kind of a deterministic loss, you try to maximize the likelihood uh, of your captions. Uh, and uh, uh, we are just doing that, and we try to do something in the decoding side to try to give more diverse captions. Uh, But this nuclear sampling was used in mostly NLP uh, papers. So does there exist some better diverse captioning strategy uh, for image captioning tasks? So I think that's a very interesting uh, question.
0: I think in in recent times, this has been shining through in a lot of works uh, that the fact that maybe we don't need to go Maximum likelihood in in our on in our inference step, but maybe it's a better approach to do go diverse with the sampling and then exactly what you do have some sort of a classifier or some sort of a filter uh to just it, to just scrap out the noise. I think that's a really, really good approach, and we saw this you know anywhere i think dolly famously. Uh, had had clip re-ranking all the outputs and i think more and more models go towards this it's really cool really cool finding um that you're essentially you're finding exactly the same thing Uh, when i look at these numbers um all of the numbers it is very let's say it's very convincing to see that everything uniformly almost almost uniformly gets better right um you know you're you support Whatever you say really well. I mean this, this trend right here, it's it it really works across let's say across all of the data sets. You uniformly almost get better um in all the tables. <laughs> uh however the difference is always, you know, there is the maximum difference is whatever that's this from here to here is like two points in uh what, what is this what's T R? It's the uh, it's a, re- a recall text uh, recall re- oh, text re- text recall sorry oh yeah it's down here okay uh, text recall image recall um, that's like two percent right here again it's like one point something percent so there's a uniformly getting better uh, my question is given that the getting better is convincing but the scale of it is like yeah two percent or so uh, when is it worth? To do this weeks long or week long pre training, you mentioned, right? This is a big procedure. The pre training is big and then the fine tuning and pre training again. Pre-training again um, when is it worth it? From what scale or for what applications does it become actually worth to do something like this?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And uh, uh, first of all, I would say it is worth doing if your data is really. Uh, if you observe a large amount of noise in the data, and uh, maybe your data is incomplete in some of the domains. For example, here, uh, the web data is primarily dominated by those uh, alt text, which can be different from what human would write to describe an image. Right? So, there, If there is a noisy scenario or a domain gap, I think it's worth to do so. Uh, and secondly, actually, we have also released our uh, dataset after bootstrapping, so that if you are just trying to do visual pre-training in a similar domain, uh, I think uh, you can just download our version and uh, use that as a starting point to avoid the first round of pre-training. Uh, and maybe c- certainly, uh, about your previous comment that uh, we have a really unanimous improvement for those tasks, Actually, in one of the tasks, maybe you can scroll down the paper. Uh, Let me try to find. uh, I think it's what the NLVR task. Uh, Table eight, maybe. Yeah, yeah, table eight. Yeah, actually, for this task, right, this is where we find the better quality of captions uh, doesn't necessarily give you a better gain, uh, if you compare uh, here. Uh, And actually, by scaling up the number of pre-training image, it it doesn't correlate uh, very straightforwardly to a downstream performance gain. Uh, So I think it still depends on your alignment between your pre-training and your uh, downstream objective. So for most of tasks, it is well aligned. And that's why improving our pre-training data quality can improve your downstream task.
2: Yeah, um, maybe I can add a few sentences to uh, in terms of whether it is worthwhile to improve that much. I think if you really imagine the big picture here uh, in terms of the multimodal Retrieval. Uh, Let's say uh, if you uh, deploy this retrieval algorithm, and that managed to improve their profit by one percent. That's a huge achievement, and you won a lot. So uh, at Salesforce, we also have. Uh, the retrieval uh, we have. We also uh, work with clients for their uh, retrieval uh, uh, services so in terms of that uh, if you just let your GPU run for one week and improve by one person that's a huge improvement I would say <laughs> right. and uh, I would also uh, like to say that these numbers they uh, kind of uh, um, I think uh, under hype uh, what Bleep has achieved, uh, because I think Bleep, beyond this uh, um, relative advantage uh, over its competitors, is also qualitatively better in terms terms of how easy uh, it is to use Bleep. If you really look at the uh, demo we created there on the web, hosted on the web, and uh, it just freely ask uh, any questions in natural language rather easily. Uh, in contrast, a lot of these image question answering uh, models they are kind of they are not doing the free form generation, right they're kind of doing classification in order to tackle this question answering uh, task. Uh, this point is, however, not fully demonstrated uh, in, I, I believe, um, in in the current manuscript. So, uh, if you really want to uh, get impressed, we really suggest you uh, check out our demo and uh, put whatever photos you like and questions.
0: Cool. Uh, it's really neat, by the way, that you have like a an, a demo to go along with it, uh, because I think it, it makes it makes it more accessible and. Uh, it demonstrates also the the capabilities of this. It's almost like we're moving into it. It's it's we're moving into the world that GPT three maybe has created for text uh, with these image language models uh, because you know we got the same feeling from GPT three. Oh no, you can I can just go and I can put any text right and I can interact with the system in a sort of a free form way and uh, it's really cool to see that we're also moving in this direction with with the image models um, in, in terms of, in terms of just the, the process of how this is research went about it, You ended up with a cool system with a nice way of bootstrapping data and so on uh, was there. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about stuff that didn't necessarily work out during the research? Was there any point where you were uh, maybe disheartened a little bit things that didn't work out? Uh, what were your low and your high points? During this the the creation of this paper,
1: yeah, uh, actually one of the like the uh, experiment we had was when we first tried to scale up the pre-training with small web images uh, using this line data set that we have downloaded, uh, which takes quite uh, some time. Uh, it doesn't help that much. Uh, So then uh, it feels really feel like uh, why scaling up the data is not benefiting the model. So then I did some more analysis and after uh, that, I realized that a lot of those uh, images are very, very small in the resolution. Some are just icons or some brand names. Uh, And if I remove those, then it begins to show the the gains. But I I think that's one of the kind of the blockers uh, we faced. Uh, And I think after we first get the bootstrapping, especially the nuclear sampling, uh, to give a big uh, performance gain, then at that point, we are quite confident that uh, this should be a good uh, solution. And uh, I think that that point is when I realized, okay, uh, this method uh, should work well, and we can write a paper about it.
0: Go ahead, Dongsh, do you want to say something?
2: Yeah, I, I believe some of these uh, strategies, they also arise from the discussion, internal discussions with other group members at Salesforce. So it's really a lot of uh, uh, crowd intelligence behind the scenes. So, yeah, that's...
0: How is, how is research uh, organized at, at Salesforce? Like, I have a bit of insight into, you know, the... Let's say the, the, the big tech giants like Google and Facebook and so on and they they have they have their research divisions. Uh at a company like Salesforce, who, who is more uh customer I wanna say customer all these companies are customer oriented, obviously, but um how how is how is research organized there? Like what do you do while the model is pre training for a week? Like do you have do you have other stuff to do or are you mainly researchers, or what's life like there?
1: Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I would say that AI is a big part of Salesforce, uh, what they try to achieve, like to use AI to better help the customers. So we have this separate uh, research division, uh, maybe not as large as Google or Facebook, uh, but I think everything works quite quite well in our research team. And uh, in terms of our day-to-day operation, uh, I think it's mostly similar to other industrial researchers. We, uh, we can be uh, quite flexible to do uh, research or do some more product-oriented uh, work. Uh, and uh, like we are uh, motivated to do research that can generate high impact, uh, that can really change the field uh, in a more substantial way. And uh, while we wait for the GPU uh, to finish training, you already would just do other research stuff or uh, read some papers involving some uh, internal discussions or maybe try to solve some uh, uh, real production problems
0: cool um, is there anything else you want to get out about this paper uh, you already said people can go to to the web uh, to your repo and you have a you have a demo also available uh, is there anything you'd Want to get out? Like, how can how how is what's the easiest for people to get started uh, with this research?
1: Yes, so I think uh, first uh, again, welcome to try out our demo and uh, welcome to visit our GitHub. Uh, we do have uh, I think quite detailed instructions on how to download and pre-train or fine-tune the model, uh, and also I welcome uh, any suggestions or questions you might have. Uh, about our uh, model, that uh, we can use that to improve uh, our uh, model or uh, uh, the code, uh, that would be great.
0: Cool, Dongshu, anything? Any last messages?
2: Yeah, our team is expanding, so if you are
0: interested,
1: <laughs> just let you <Gina> know. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, we Excellent. are looking
1: for an uh, intern position in the vision language research.
0: Cool. Who can apply? Anyone that is at university or?
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyone can apply. We hire globally, so we can do remote working now.
0: Cool. Excellent. OK, uh, Dongxi and Jinnan, thank you very much for being here. This was a lot of fun.
1: Thank you for thank having you. us. Thank you. Really appreciate it.